Good morning. Uh, we're going to turn together in uh, God's Word to two passages uh, from the book of Revelation. Uh, I've got a friend of mine ministering uh, in just a moment, and he's, he's picked two passages. So I don't know if he's indecisive today or if it's two for the price of one. Uh, but Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at uh, verse 9, and then just flicking over a few pages to, uh, to chapter 3. John's vision of Christ. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll, that which you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The Lord then dictates seven letters to those churches. I'm going to jump to the last of those in chapter 3 and verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love... I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. 
Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Are you, are you sure? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Um, like I said, we've got a, a friend of mine uh, who's going to come and share in just a moment. Come on up, Chris. I'll, I'll pray for you as you come. Chris is, is a good friend. He's a great friend. Uh, I can't tell you really the number of times when um, Chris has sent me a message uh, and it's been bang on what I've been wondering or thinking about or asking the Lord about. And Chris, you've got a real blessing uh, in that, just hearing from God and, and sharing. So I'm super excited. Despite the very obvious age difference, we are good friends. And uh, <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. Uh, can I, I feel I do need to pray for you, though. Um, because Chris is preaching, I'll pray for us as well. Um, so let's just... Let's just pray. God, I want to thank you for Chris. And I want to thank you for someone whose heart is so open to hear you and to share what you're saying. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given him to carry uh, in this season. And Father, we just pray that as you bless us through what he brings us today, that he might be blessed. That Holy Spirit, you'd anoint the words uh, of his lips. That, Lord, they might be pleasing in your sight and beneficial to the church. Uh, open our hearts today, Lord. Open our eyes. Open our lives to you. And might we receive what you have for us. Well, thank you for him. We honor you today. As we wait on you and listen to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we welcome Chris as he comes to share? God bless you. Happy New Year, and uh, yeah, thanks so much. He's a, he's a, this, this young man here. <laughs> this is my job, just looking after teenagers like this. Uh, the, the Lord, uh, a while ago, um, I'll just say a bit about us. So there's uh, Jan, uh, the, the, the main reason I'm, I'm any good at all is because of Jan over there. Jan and God doing a, working hard on this project. Um, um, so Jan and I were, were at Rabina years and years ago. Where, where's, where's Bodel? In the, oh, bless you. Had precious times back there. And uh, then the Lord called us out um, to go to Woodville Baptist, as we thought, uh, for a year. But God can be a bit sneaky. Um, hallelujah. Uh, and uh, it was the end of about 33 years or something like that, you know, like you do. And eventually I ended up as pastor. Uh, for the last seven years, and then retired, and we always felt the Lord had said, you'll go back to Rubina when you finish at Woody, so we've gone back to Rubina, um, and just being blessed by the ministry of Gareth over there. Right, so let me just unpack my bag. It's not a long message, but I have brought sandwiches. Uh, um, Alright, let's try again. Um, so, when, um, yeah, Revelation, wow, man, yeah, uh, a while ago, see, the glass was just too small, mate, I drink a lot of water these times, you know, um, 
when I got here, he gave me a glass of water. He said, hi, Chris, I made this. I thought, wow, <laughs> this church is moving in some power. And as you said, you turned it wine into water. That's, that's very impressive. So, um, yeah, Revelation, you know, what's he thinking? What's he thinking? First of all, sorry, I forgot to do this. Uh, hi to the people at home. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I really pray that the Spirit would be with you wherever you are and would just bless you with His presence. Um, yeah, so, so Revelation, I, I was, uh, you know, reading, I tend to just read through the New Testament, you know, right the way through and then dip into other bits. Uh, but I, I love the Gospels. I love stories. So I love the Gospels and I love Acts. And then, and then the letters are hard to work. And then every time you get to the end of the letters, it's Revelation. It's still there. It's like, oh, Lord, Really? But I don't feel I can start again until I've read that bit, you know. And I go, oh, my gosh, I don't get any of this. Um, and I, I really, I've really got to, you know, say that to you. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, a scholar, and I'm not a theologian. I'm not a specialist in, um, in Revelation. But I was reading through it, you know, in, in, earlier in the, in the year, and, uh, and, and, and this bit really stood out to me, this bit where the Lord of the church talked to the church. I'm like, wow, this is... This is pretty amazing. And then what he says, and the very bit that I've always avoided, <laughs> Laodicea, was the bit that really spoke to me. What really spoke to me is the grace of God. See, when you read the Scriptures, you learn about God. You learn about yourself, but you learn about God, and you learn about His grace. And that's what just blew my mind in this. So hopefully, I can, um, I can bring some of that here today. Right, now then, let's get my bearings here. So, okay, good, this is all going very well. <laughs> I think I should just close in prayer now. <laughs> right, now this, I haven't done this for quite a while, and oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is the scary moment, you know, when you, when you press this button and everything goes. <laughs> I've had a traumatic experience with this, so I may need, who's on the healing team today? I may, I may need, some, need some help with this. Who's that? Who's that bloke? Right, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, right. Big picture mission, yes. Here we go. That is the big picture. Whatever you're talking about in terms of the work of God, however, mission, the kingdom of God coming, is the big picture. It's probably best, actually, if I don't get uh, distracted with the clicker. Is that all right? Can you do it from there? Because I, I, once I get on a thing, I tend to sort of go and, and, and then I, oh, I should have done that, you know, blah, 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 as Jan will tell you. So, the big picture is mission. Um, Gareth, uh, pa pa the pastor over at Rwanda, has got a great expression. He, God has got a mission, and he invites us to join with it. It's the right way around. It's the right way around. He has got a mission. His kingdom come. We said at the beginning, your kingdom come. And Christ promised to be with us as we carry out his mission, his commission. Remember, after he gave the great commission, said, this is what I want you to do, go into all the world, do the stuff, teach them as I've taught you, and that means demonstrate as well all that he was doing, all the miracles and the power and everything, preaching the word. And he said, the message says, I will be with you as you do this. There's the key. I will be with you as you do this, day after day, right up to the end of the age. Do you see what he's saying? As you're obeying what I'm giving you to do, I am with you. It, it, 
there's almost like a, con- it's a conditional thing in there. We can get a bit sort of, the Lord is with us all the time anyway, but he's wanting to do that. Okay, let's talk a bit about the book of Revelation. Um, like I've said, I'm not an expert on this, but there's, there's um, the reason I wanted to look at this. When you look at Revelation, the key is this. It's written from a heavenly viewpoint. You have to understand that it's written from a heavenly viewpoint. You can't go into too much depth and detail about what's going on in a sense on the earth because it's all about what's happening in the throne room of the Father. What is happening? What's coming and going there? What is is decree? If you read it with that lens, it does help. I still found it a complete mystery, to be honest, but it does help. This is why I wanted that first bit read out. Who is speaking to the church? Who is this person that's speaking to the church? He is like a son of man whose feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He said, I am the first and the last. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the ruler of God's creation, ruler, source. In other words, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and this is the one. This is the one standing there. This is the one that is, that is saying to his church that he paid for. What happens to John? He falls down as dead. Now, think about this. This is John who was in the group of three. This is John who knew, who knew Jesus as a close friend, who spent time with him closely. He knew Jesus. Even more amazing, he was one of the three that saw the transfiguration. He had been at the transfiguration of Christ, where his clothes became like lightning, shone so brightly. And yet this still blew him away so much that he fell over. And Christ had to lean over and say, don't be afraid. It's me. This is the Lord of the church. This is, this is the Lord. And that's really why I wanted to get that, that picture. Because, you know, we see Jesus in different ways. We've just done the whole nativity thing, that Jesus is a baby. Jesus is the itinerant preacher. Jesus is a broken, wounded sacrifice. Here is the majestic Christ, ascended and glorious and full of power, who you can barely look at, but still the loving God that would say, don't be afraid. Oh, hallelujah. Right, Laodicea. It's very wobbly, this bluff, wasn't it? I know it's probably me jump, jumping about up here, you know. I mean, I'd be all sort of statesman-like and pastory, and I'll stand like this, but I can't do it. Laodicea. Let's have a think now about the whole context of this word. Laodicea, the name means rule of the people. Now, there's an interesting clue. Because of a church in a city, and the city's actually called, the name means rule of the people. Something to think about that after we just talked of the lordship of Christ. Okay, it was a young city. It was only 300 years old. And it was actually a gift from an emperor to his wife. So what do you need, darling? You've got lots of flowers, and you've got all the perfume. I know, build you a city. So he did. He built the city out in basically in the middle of nowhere. And um, he said, oh, I need people. So we only got Jews from Babylon and Syrians, and he filled it up, and there's your city. And, um, and it really was pretty obscure. And then Rome came along. Roman Empire builds roads. It's all about roads with Rome, yeah? And Laodicea is on a main route. Bingo, lottery time. 
So, not that I commend it or do it, but <laughs> the money's rolling in because they're on this road. They've got to go through a Laodicea. Uh, so you've got tolls, you've got exchange, you've got banking. And so it becomes very rich, very rich off its banking and its trade. Everything's got to go through there. Bang, they've hit the bonus. Um, textiles makes a lot of money from textiles because they have sheep that have got black wool. So they've got black sheep. They've got, they got, you know, that's their main flocks. And that's very popular in the ancient world. There's a lot of white stuff on, but there's the black stuff. So there's a whole load of money made by them selling this black cloth, this black wool te textile. And they're a center for medications, particularly eye medication. There's a hospital and a university there that specializes in it. And there's one guy, an ancient doctor, who was known for this. So they're rich, they got this textile industry, and they, they've already got a medication. It's all going on, there's a problem. Their water is rubbish. You see, when, they built, when, he, when the king built that city, he didn't really think it through. Water. Now, there's two cities nearby. There's Colossae and there's Hierapolis. And Hierapolis is about six miles away. So Colossae has got um, um, cold springs. Fantastic. You want to go there. F really, you know, really cold water. The other place has got hot springs. You want to go there. So they got no water in, in uh, Laodicea. So what do they do? They pipe it from Hierapolis, six miles through clay pipes and viaducts. Starts off hot, ends up lukewarm, full of sediments. It's undrinkable. The Laodiceans themselves had an expression, I'd rather puke, puke than drink this water. I, I can't, it's undrinkable. They're all clues I'm laying out here for when you see what the, what the Lord says, says to them, okay? So, uh, Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the notes. Blah, blah, blah. So, oh, take a drink. Just letting, I'm just letting all that teaching sink in there. You know, that's what I'm doing. All right. Okay. The warnings of Jesus. I had called this the judgment of Jesus, but it's not. You see, here's the amazing thing with God. It's, it, it's a feature. This is, this is an absolute principle. Grace before judgment. Always grace before judgment. So the warning will come first. Look at the scripture. And then there's the grace. But then there's the judgment. God is a holy judge. Oh, God is so good. Okay, so he says to them, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. What deeds was he looking for? You see, we can get very sort of, you know, fluffy about God, you know. He doesn't care, you know, what you're doing in your life as long as you say, oh, I love you, Lord, and all that. He's looking for deeds. He's looking at this church. He's saying, what are you doing? Bearing in mind the Great Commission. He's saying, what are you doing? Now, I was thinking about this, and I thought, where has Jesus said, this is the sort of stuff I want to see? And there are, there are two places. Okay, so there's one time when um, John the Baptist is in prison. Put the bottle down, says John. Good idea. Probably knock myself out with it or something. If you're praying that, please don't. So, John the Baptist is in prison. And in prison, you can get pretty disillusioned. And he starts to really doubt about everything. And he's thinking, well, maybe I just got it all wrong. You know, I got, maybe I just didn't. Maybe it's not Jesus. I know he's my cousin. Maybe he's not the Messiah. 
So he sends his disciples to see. He says, go and ask him. <laughs> Let me just know if I'm suffering in this prison for a purpose. So he sends his disciples, and they go to him. They say, are you really the Messiah? John's having a bit of a moment. He says, tell him what you see and what you hear. And what is that? Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The leopards are cleansed by healing and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Deeds, changes, stuff, if you like. God doing his stuff. Another thing, another incident, another occasion. Later on, Matthew 25, sheep and goats. We're going to the end of time and judgment, sheep and goats. Jesus is saying to the sheep, come, come in. He said, well, what, what do we do? He said, well, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I see your deeds. I know this is challenging stuff. I see your deeds. He is looking for the whole kingdom of God in action. Disciples change lives. Second part of the warning of Jesus. Lukewarm. That's what he says, doesn't he? He says, you are lukewarm. Remember, he's, he's, got, he's got their water in mind. Now, Laodicea, Regarding a belief or a philosophy, it wasn't known for anything in particular. And you can imagine it tried to play almost a sort of very careful line of not offending anyone because there's a lot of money involved. So you don't want to affect this group because what if they don't, what if they bank somewhere else? Let's be, let's be everything to everybody so we don't offend anybody. It's not to go too far. It had lots of religions and beliefs, they accepted everything, didn't want to offend anyone. Maybe the church bought into that. Let's, let's not do anything too drastic. Let's not get anything too, you know, crazy. Let's not do, you know, let, let's stay respectable and stuff so we don't upset the apple cart here. Just my thoughts on that. Because what we're thinking about with Laodicea in particular is when I was reading it, I thought there may be aspects of this that could be applied to the Western church. And that's part of what we need to sort of bear in mind as we're looking through that. I should have said that at the beginning, actually. I'm not, I haven't, you know, the Lord didn't say, you need to go and tell Bethel they're lukewarm and I'm going to spit them out of my mouth. I, I, when, I, when I got this, this, this sense I need to talk about this, I just said, Lord, if ever I get asked to church to speak, this is the message I'm going to bring until you say otherwise. So this is, this is the third time I've brought this to a church. And no, I haven't been asked back to the others. Um, so, it's the ad living, it always gets me. That's a killer, isn't it? It's a killer, isn't it? Right, so, focus, Chris. Thank you. Jesus says, you say, I am rich. Now he's beginning to get very serious now. He's beginning to almost dismantle them. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. I'm, so, I'm self-sufficient. But you do not realize says the Lord, you are wretched, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I must be fair, are you, are you, 
us? You're talking about us? <laughs> Come on. They were so rich and self-sufficient that in AD 60, they had a massive earthquake, dem demolished the city. And Nero in Rome offered central funding to rebuild. They said, no, we're good. We're Laodicea. We do things our way. We've got our money. We don't need your money. <laughs> right. Interesting, that, that thing of we don't need anybody. These days, we may see that as a great strength. Independence. Don't need anybody. Do it our way. Be really independent. But actually, the self-sufficiency was getting in the way. It was getting in the way. And the Lord was not fooled for a moment. Next step. Restoration. Oh, Jesus is always about wanting to restore to a better place. If you're being challenged at the moment in your Christian life, the Lord is knocking on the door and getting you, it's because he wants to restore you to something. He wants to take you on to something else. I'd encourage you not to try and rush through the hard times. I know that's hard. But sometimes those are the very times the Lord is speaking. And if you can just pull back and say, what are you saying? What do I need to learn in this time, Lord? The Lord wants to do more in your life. He wants to restore stuff. He wants to bring to the better. He wants to bring his vision about in your life. So, after his rebukes, here's the advice for restoration. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. You see what, God, what he's done? He knows them so well. He's gone through the very things that they thought were their strengths. And he's pulled them each way. He said, but I have got better in all of these. I've got so much more from you. So much more from you. And he, he tells them, because he deals with what, what defines them, if you like. But he tells them, this is what you need. Bit of a mystery here. Bit of a mystery here. What does this mean? What does it mean when it says is gold, white robes, I sell? I spent quite a bit of time thinking about this, the refined gold. The, the nearest I could come to this, thinking of the gold, you know, that the wise men brought, the king, knowing the king, the riches of knowing Christ, the true king. Now I only th I think that's only a part of this, but that's all I can bring, because that's all I, I've sort of sussed out, if you like, on this. That the true gold in life is knowing Christ and the glory of his suffering and the glory of his presence. And then there's obviously the white robes of righteousness and the eye salve. And we'll come back to that later in the response. And then he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And Jesus, he's got the right to say this because he gave his life for the church. Okay? And then the next step. What is the next step after this? Is it judgment, more rebuke? Grace. He takes them right to the edge, saying, all that you've trusted in is not my best for you. And then the grace of God. He says, behold, I stand at the door of my church and I continually knock. Now get your head around this. Get your head around this, right? The Lord of the church, that's why I want to say at the beginning, who the Lord is. He's incredible. He owns the church. He bought us. And yet, he's standing at the door, and he's knocking. Blah, 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 blah. What are we going to do now? What are we gonna, what's happening here? Can anybody hear a knock? Can I, no, no. Blah, 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 blah. Can, you, can, you can you just try and get this? That the Lord of the church, the glorious Lord, 
the Christ, the risen Christ, is like some traveler in a cagoule outside the back of the church knocking on the door saying, can I come in to my church? He's not like an enraged landlord who said, how dare you lock me out? I should be in there in the center. The grace and the gentleness and the humility and the love of Christ to say, I just want my church. If you let me in, I'll come in and we'll fellowship. If you let me in, I'll come in and I'll judge every. I'll fellowship with you. What's it mean to fellowship? What's it mean? This is not, this isn't having a coffee or a McDonald's. This is a meal. This is a sit down and gather. This is how you're doing. Let me tell you. Let's share back and forth. Let's take time. This is what did the Pharisees in. When they said to him, they didn't like him healing on the Sabbath, they didn't like him telling them the, the, the poor the gospel, all the rest of it. What they hated was that he dined with the poor. This man eats with sinners. Why is this such a problem? Because it's fellowship, it's acceptance, it's identity. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm stressing this point, but it's very, very deep. Because that's what the Lord wants. He wants fellowship with his church. He wants to be invited and welcomed and, and involved and at the center. Oh, my, mm, I'm suppressing a hallelujah. I might have to go outside in a minute. <laughs> this, remember, is before the church has repented. He's warned them. He's this. This is how I restore you. And then he waits outside. There's been no repentance. The church hasn't said, oh, yeah, you know, we got that. We got that black wool so wrong. Um, yeah. Right. Who is, in, who is he inviting into fellowship? I'm going to move to response now. We've always taken that verse uh, as an individual verse, yeah? You come to the gospel and, and you let the Lord in, you know, and, and open the door and the Lord will come in. And there is, a, there is an individual aspect, clearly, because he says, I will dine with him. But to me, the context is clearly the church. Clearly the church. So I need to, I, I just want to think about some things here, because this raises some fun questions, doesn't it? It raises the question, what does he mean by buying from him? What can we buy from Jesus? And then how do we open the door of the church to him? So, what's he mean by buying? In one sense, Christ is the ultimate trader. It's all about transactions. And what have we got to exchange? Let's think of it as individuals. Well, really, stuff no one wants. Stuff no one wants. Because when you come to the cross, what are you transacting? What's going on? You're giving him, oh, it's our sin for his righteousness. Our guilt for his forgiveness. Our spiritual poverty for his riches. Our turmoil for his peace. Our blindness for his vision. Our mourning for his joy our ashes for his beauty, our despair for his hope. It could go on. It, we could be here all day on that. You think, well, that wasn't a very good transaction. I've done pretty well out of this. I was carrying all this stuff, and the Lord took it from me and gave me, you know, my emptiness for his fullness. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here's the challenge, following on from that, I think, to walk with him in the fullest measure after we work through all that lot. We need to give him the things that are precious to us. And maybe we don't want to give. That are ours to give. Our will. Our time. 
are many. Lord of my wallet, I'll worship ourselves. And this is stuff that the Lord, mm, His glory, doesn't demand, doesn't rip out of our hands. I love that. But I just wait for you to bring it to me. So in fellowship, He is so good. He is so good. Okay, what about the church? What can the church offer? What are the church prepared to let go? Clearly, pride and reputation were important to Laodicea, and that was one of their problems. One of the main problems of being self-sufficient is that we forget we are dependent upon the grace and mercy of God and of our need of Christ. Andrew Murray has got a great quote. Um, recently, I was, I was struggling in my prayer life. I was, I was fine. I was just going through the motions. I was praying my list, and there was no life in it. Um, you know, if I, Jan and I were praying, it was just like, oh man, on my morning times, because I'm quite disciplined, so I'm still doing it, but it was like, oh, I'd, I've lost the sense of his presence and of the joy and that. And I was just going through it, and I talked about it, there was a friend of mine, Di Hanke, Pastor Di Hanke, he's a pretty amazing guy. He said he'd been through a similar thing, and he recommended two things. Number one, use the Lord's Prayer. So you, it's a great prayer, it just takes you through into places, you know, without you you'd thinking about him, getting, you know, needing anything. Just read that. And just start to pray that to the Lord. I found that really good. And he also recommended this book, Prayers in a Chamber, by Andrew Murray, all studies with Christ in the house of prayer or something. And here's a, here's a quote that just blew my mind. In this thing about the grace of God, he says, how do we get the prayer life that we want? We cannot secure this grace by an act of the will. Our first lesson must be the sense of impotence. It's mad, isn't it? That's just so amazing. Our first thing to go to God is, God, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not, I'm not able to come and impress you. I'm not able to fire up or fire you up. I got nothing. And from there, you can receive grace. When you go before God and say, I got all this, I'm doing all right. You don't really need the grace. Let me tell you a quick story about Woody. So when we were at Woody, uh, we went through a time we were very, very small, and then we started to... Um, uh, realized that the Lord was calling us to student ministry, and we invested in it, and we, we just ended up as a massive student church. We had our f morning service was always rammed, just to be there early. At one point, we had four or six uh, interns and a student worker. We had 20 life groups just for students. It was mad. It was, it was too much. We could hardly handle it. It was absolutely huge. And, of course, you, you get quite proud of that. There, weren't many, there were no other churches looking at it. People coming from all over. Then gradually things started to change. Other churches started to look after students and stuff. And then we, we just felt that God was changing stuff and there was something going on. I remember one prayer meeting where we were praying about getting the leading of the Lord. And one of the elders said, um, so we had banners. We would do a lot of community stuff. We would do stuff in the park and we started fates and stuff like that. And we'd have banners because we wanted people to know we were there and where to go. And so they'd have woody banners. We, said we felt we should take one of those banners and put it on the floor and walk on it. Say, we are nothing. It's all you, Lord. And it was a very powerful moment. Now, you may think that's stupid, and some prophetic things will sound stupid, but that was really powerful. And it almost opened a way for the Lord to begin over a long time to do a new thing. And the first thing he did was prune us. And our numbers tumbled. We lost 30 people to one new church in Cardiff, and or leaders as well. It's like, but all the time, the Lord kept saying, I'm pruning you for a new thing. 
and the new thing has now started. It came about during the, the, um, the lockdown, you know, during COVID, and now it's a totally different place. There's another pastor there, and it's a totally different thing. I just want to encourage you, Bethel, because I know there's something going on here. The Lord is stirring something here. John's, John's told me about this, you know, these, this sense of worship in the place. It was a wonderful time of worship earlier. I just want to encourage you not to miss what God is doing. But that may involve laying down the past. Now, when you lay down the past, you need to honor God for what he did and say, it's not of us, Lord, we're just humble servants. Thank you, Lord, you lay it down. Don't look for him to do the same thing again. And then you lay down the things that didn't work out as well. Lay down the success and the failures. Lay it all down before him. Lay it all down before him. And just say, have your way, Lord. Just, just that's, it. that's all you can say. That's all you can say. I'd really encourage you. When, this morning I was praying. I said, Lord, have you got anything for me, particularly about Bethel today, apart from the, the word and that? And it was just the thought, and I don't know if this is from the Lord, but this, this idea, you know, that that, that that worship and the angelic worship, and it just struck me that often angels are the precursors to a move of the Spirit, a move of God, and I'm not, I'm not into hype seen it all. I just want the Lord. I just want the reality of His presence in people. So we can forget hype and formulas and all that. So it just occurred to me, we just had, you know, the nativity, the angels coming. Um, this, you've got a head start here in terms of welcoming God. This is Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God first place, ancient, ancient word, ancient word, place where angels came to earth. It's like, it's, it, the sense is the staircase or even a portal where angels come in. I just leave that with you. I'm not going to make a big thing. How would we open our church to him? We have to welcome him and we have to listen to him. And these go back and forth, the welcoming and the listening, because you'll listen and he'll say something and you think, I don't like that. And then the challenge is, do you welcome the Lord when he's saying something that you might not want? So, they work back and forth. I just say there's a few things. Sincerely and clearly inviting him. Invite the Holy Spirit into everything you do. It sounds a bit obvious, sounds a bit religious. Remember, this is a relationship. This is a person. And it's nice when you go somewhere to be welcomed. It's basic, isn't it? It's basic. Trust that he wants to be with you. I will be you till the end of the earth. And then through your worship. And then listening to him, we need to learn. It's hard. But to each of the churches, he said, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. That's the only thing he said to all of them. Learn to listen. It takes time. Ah, time. Oh, man. It's not an app. It's not even a YouTube video. It's an investment of time and commitment to waiting. And finally, I'd say, encourage the gifts. Now, I know that is a fraught one, and as a pastor, like, oh my. But it always blows my mind, the Corinthians, the ones that messed up the gift the most, are the ones that Paul said, I want you all to prophesy. You serious, Paul? Prophesy, the gift of prophecy, is absolutely crucial. It's the counsel of God. The Word is key. Listening and studying and listening to the Word, the main I'd encourage you to explore moving in the gifts. It will take love, forgiveness, mistakes. No, 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 no. But the goal 
it honestly is worth it. Uh, I think we're done there. Just to encourage you, for, I just encourage you that whatever the Lord is stirring, you say, yes, Lord, have your way. Amen. I pray. I told you now. Pray. Father, I thank you that you've not given up on plan A and you never will. Plan A, the church, is no plan B. I thank you, Father, there's not a bunch of angels lined up like a SWAT team waiting to run in if we mess up. It's the church and only the, and only the church. And that's why you're so committed, you're invested, and you want to be with us as we work this through. Father, I thank you for this fellowship. I honor you, Lord, for this fellowship, for the history here, Lord, for all that's happened here, Father God. And I ask you to guide them, Father, in the name of Jesus, into, these, into whatever you're doing now, whether it's a revisiting of an old thing that's refreshed or whether it's a totally new thing, whatever, Lord. Only you know, but I thank you, Father, that you don't keep your people in the dark. Call out to me and I will answer you. Knock, it'll be opened. Ask and you'll hear, seek, you shall find, you want to respond. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a grace of revelation here, a revelation of the work and will of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you that you will guide your people here, your church, your faithful remnant here in this village, in the name of Jesus, that you would, you would open their eyes, you would show them, Father, just, just who you are, and you would lead them clearly. I pray your blessing as they step into, uh, you know, studying out of your word, worshiping in the gifts, all the ways, Father, you want to speak. And uh, Father, I just want a particular blessing on the leaders, Lord. Times of change are always, are always very challenging for leaders, Lord. But, you know, change is happening around us so much anyway, Father. I pray for your grace on them as they enter this time in the name of Jesus. Amen.